If you have a Bible, can I encourage you to turn to Genesis 3 as we think about God's design, uh, corrupted and restored, is what we're thinking about here this evening. This morning, we were thinking about God's blueprint of creation for men and women, which included uh, three things particularly, equality, both men and women equally made in the image of God, equal before God. We were thinking about the diversity, men who were appointed primarily as leaders and women alongside them as helpers. But we were emphasizing that term helper is no way a diminishing term. It's used regularly in the Bible to speak of the God alone who can keep people going on and to meet the needs of people. And then we thought of this big word, complementarity, how indeed men and women were made different to complement each other, to fit together, to be a team together, and that they would complete each other as they serve together. And that's true in marriage, but it's also true in the church, that it's as men and women indeed fulfill their God-given calling that indeed the church will grow and flourish. But the, what we see in Genesis 1 and 2 did not last. That perfect harmony that was there was soon gone. And we're going to think tonight, first of all, about sin's corruption. Every good thing from God will come under the attack of Satan. Just a wee aside about Ukraine. Uh, Ukraine has probably, percentage-wise, more evangelicals than nearly any other country in Europe with the exception of the United Kingdom. Percentage-wise, there's far more evangelicals in Ukraine than in countries like Ireland, Germany, Spain, Italy, France. Percentage-wise, there's more in Ukraine. Not a bit of wonder in the sense that the devil has it in his sights. But let's think here about the devil's tactics here as we think of the corruption. And how the devil comes to Adam and Eve, what his tactics were. And the first thing about his tactics was twisting the divine order. Now, remember what we said this morning, that it was to Adam that God had given the command about the forbidden fruit, as he was to be the leader and the teacher in this team. But who does the devil approach? The devil approaches not Adam, but he approaches Eve. And he talks to Eve about the forbidden fruit. Now, this isn't just Eve's fault. Adam was probably present when this conversation was going on, and he didn't intervene. And Paul picks up on this about Eve being the one who listened, in a sense, who gave in to temptation. First, in 1 Timothy 2, when he speaks about the role of teaching and having authority in the church as being that of men in regards to the eldership, and he picks and says, the problem was that what happened in the Garden of Eden went against God's order, against God's design. It's when the man failed to be the teacher and the woman took on the teaching role instead of the man on that occasion, that is when the sin came. When we go against God's appointed order, problems will arise. And we need to be aware of that. That's why this subject, like every subject from the Bible, is important. If we go against God's appointed order, there will be consequences. 
Now, as I've said, the fault here wasn't just with Eve. The fault was of Adam, who was present but failed to intervene as the family leader. In verse 17, look what God says to Adam. Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the three of which I commanded you. He shouldn't have been doing that. He shouldn't have been listening. He should have been intervening and said, Eve, don't listen to what he's saying. He's wrong, Eve. Protect your wife. That's what Adam should have been doing, intervening and basically pulling out the devil's lies. He is the one who had heard from God. He is the one who heard the voices that if you eat of this tree, you will die. He's the one who was given that message originally. And he is the one who should have been reminding Eve of it at this time. Adam listened when he should have been teaching. The second part of the devil's tactics is questioning God's Word in verses 2 to 4. Satan attacks what God said about God's command. Did God really say you don't eat of this tree in verse 2? And then about God's judgment in verse 4. Will you really die? And in regards to God's design for men and women, God's Word is challenged. And in many ways, what we're thinking about here, or we can think about the whole issue of women as ministers and elders, it boils down to a question of biblical authority. Now, people today will challenge what the Bible says on this issue. They will challenge what the Bible says because of a viewpoint of the age of the Bible. That is an old book written all those years ago in a different culture. It doesn't apply to the culture of today. Or the Apostle Paul and what he says on the subject, which we'll be thinking about particularly next Sunday morning, what he says on the subject, they say Paul was just a chauvinist. Paul was a, a woman hater. Was it? It was Paul who said, Husbands, love your wives as Christ has loved the church. And so the big issue is not that we have a Bible that's out of date. We have the eternal Word of God. We have the Word of God which is the same and doesn't change. We have the Word of God which is perfect and for today. And when people don't like what God's Word says, they need just to accept that and try instead of trying to wriggle their way around it. And that's always the devil's tactics, to get people to question and to doubt the Word of God. Adam and Eve sinned by listening to the voice of the devil instead of the Word of God. Third aspect of the devil's tactic was that of doubting God's goodness in verse 5. Basically, the devil was saying to Eve, God's a spoiled sport. And if you want to have a good life, do what I'm telling you. If you keep to what God is saying and not eating of the forbidden fruit, your life will be spoiled. You're going to miss out on so much. But if you do what I say, go against God's command, freedom, knowledge, and a wonderful experience will be yours. Satan was arguing that behind God's restrictions, there was an unkind desire to limit Eve. And that's exactly often how people respond today to God's plan for men and women, as outlined in the Bible, that it is a plan to limit people. The problem is if we say that, if this is something to limit people, we're saying God, who this is from, 
is a bit of a spoil sport. He's not a God full of goodness and love who wants the very best for his people if he's going to limit us. If we think this command from God is a, a limiting command, something hasn't sunk into us right as yet. Because this command is coming from a God who wants the very best for men and wants the very best for women. He's not a spoil sport. Eve gave in to the lie. She saw God as a spoil sport and she followed what the devil did, wanted her to do. So here we see the devil's tactics, twisting divine order, questioning God's word, doubting God's goodness. And then secondly, let's think about the woman's desire in verse 16 as we think of how sin has corrupted. What was the result of what happened here? Look at verse 16. To the woman he said, that's God said, this is after she sinned, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Now, what does it mean when it says to Eve, your desire shall be for your husband? Well, the woman's desire for a husband here would be a desire to rule over her husband. If you go over to chapter 4 and verse 7, the same word is used there, speaking about sin crouching at the door of Cain. And God says to Cain, and if you do not, and if you do not do well, sin is crouching at your door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. So when sin was crouching at Cain's door and desired him, it wanted to rule him. It wanted to dominate him. And so now we see that the consequences of sin coming into the life of Eve would be that she would now no longer accept her appointed place as the helper and the man as the leader. She would be the one who would want to be the ruler and rule over her husband. And the problem is, because we have all inherited sin, and every woman has inherited sin, women inherit that desire, which includes a rebellion against the rule of man, and a desire to manipulate men that are appointed over them, whether in the church or in the home. C.S. Lewis, in his Narnia series, he talks about women as being daughters of Eve. And either you're a daughter of Eve or you're a son of Adam. And here we see the consequences of that sin on women, no longer accepting their appointed position. Alongside the man as a helper, there's this desire to rule, to dominate. But men, we're not getting off of this either. We see man's rule also mentioned here in verse 16. It says by the woman, your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Now, let's think of the man's rule here. Now, when this verse speaks of man ruling over the woman, the leadership role of a man was not something that was introduced here as a result of sin. It was already there in the order of creation. Think of Genesis 2. For this reason, the man shall leave his father and his mother and be united to his wife. Why does it say a man 
shall leave his father and his mother and be united to his wife. Why doesn't say the woman will do it? Because doesn't she leave her parents as well at marriage? The point of saying that is it is the man who takes the initiative. It's the man who is the leader in this. And so the leadership, the headship of man was already established. So what is it saying right now that the man will rule over her? Well, it's saying here that now there comes as a result of sin, instead of the, the loving and caring sacrificial rule, there will be a rule from man that will seek to be domineering, selfish, and harsh. And this can be seen in how down through the centuries, women have often been treated as second-class citizens, and women even at times have sadly even been treated like property. The sons of Adam have inherited the sin which causes them now to those who were ruled in a wrong manner. Carrie Sandham, uh, in her book, By God's Design, uh, I'll give a wee list of books uh, later on in this series. It's an excellent book. She highlights how God's original plan is corrupted. What began with equality in God's plan is now a, a battle for supremacy. What began as diversity with men and women being different with different rules, there's now a pressure for uniformity, trying to be all alike. And what began as continuity, where we complete each other, now there comes conflict. And what we have here is the introduction of the battle of the sexes. And Carrie Sandon says this, women fight this battle by seeking to control and manipulate men. Men fight this battle by dominating women abusively or by abdicating completely, which is a way of getting women to do exactly the things that they don't want to do. So whether the man will be someone who will seek to dominate in a harsh way or he'll abdicate responsibilities and just get the woman to do what he doesn't want to do. Whereas the women that seek to control and manipulate. Now, I think it's a time where we have to be honest. And for those of us who are men, we have to ask if we have been guilty of a wrong, of a chauvinistic attitude towards women, treating women as being less than us, treating them in a wrong way, putting them down. Is that something us men have to confess where we have been guilty of that? And for those who are women, have you been guilty of an attitude towards men that has been wrong and refusing to accept the rule where it's appropriate as God has appointed? So God's plan of equality, diversity, and complementarity has now been messed up by sin. Thankfully, that's not the end of the message. We come to our second point tonight, which is Christ's restoration. And first of all, I want us to see is the, the balance of Christ. And we see Jesus, first of all, in this balance, restoring women's dignity. And let's think about how Jesus did that in His life and in His ministry. And some of the things we read about in the gospel, reading it from our 21st century perspective in the Western world, 
we will not grasp initially by reading just how radical Jesus was in the way that he treated women. And in many cases, he was going against the norm of society. First of all, in speaking publicly to women. Men weren't to do that. You didn't speak publicly to a woman. She's beneath you. She's below you. Don't speak to her. And yet, even to the, the woman at the well, the woman from an immoral background, Jesus in love speaks openly to that woman. Remember, the disciples came back and they were shocked that he was doing this. Why would he speak less to a woman made in the image of God than to a man made in the image of God? Secondly, using women in his illustrations. Luke 18, the story of the persistent widow. Jewish rabbis would never use a woman as an illustration when they taught. Women were not to be mentioned, basically. And yet Jesus regularly used women as illustrations as he taught. Thirdly, in teaching women. Many of the Jewish rabbis thought it was absolutely useless. I'm not even sure some of the phrases they would have said about teaching women and the value of that. It wasn't worthwhile teaching women. Where Jesus, the likes of Mary, commended her for sitting at his feet while he taught her and taught her and taught her. Of course, women should be taught the Word of God because women are are as spiritual, women are as intelligent as men, why should they be taught any less? And commending women's service. We think of the woman who anointed his feet with perfume. And Jesus commended her when the disciples wanted to stop her doing this. He commended her and said that wherever the gospel would be preached, her action would be remembered. And lo and behold, 2,000 years later tonight, we are speaking about what that woman did all those years ago. Condemning, degrading thoughts was the next thing. He spoke about men if they thought of a woman in a lustful manner. They were guilty of committing adultery in their minds. Again, this was radical. This was Jesus saying, listen, you're not to teach to think of a woman as an object just to satisfy you, you have to treat her with a dignity as being someone made in the image of God and equal to you. And then the final thing just to say here is the, the first resurrection witnesses, how they were women, and how Jesus in John 20 took that time to speak to Mary Magdalene and to assure and encourage her. It was radical because women were not allowed to testify in a court of law. That's how they were thought of and treated. And yet Jesus has seen to it that who would be the first people who would be His witnesses to testify His resurrection from the dead would be women. I meant to bring a quote. I forgot the book tonight. Uh, a quote from Dorothy Sayers. Uh, Dorothy Sayers was one of the first group of women ever to get a degree from Oxford University. She got it in 1920. She had passed her exam sometimes years before that, but it was only in 1920 she was allowed to have a degree. She became a very famous author. She wrote criminal novels. She wrote over 20 different novels. But in the quote, she was a, a Christian. 
a strong faith in the Lord Jesus. She just shares about how Jesus is the one who treated women with respect. He never made fun of women. He never treated them as a joke. He never nagged them. He never had to say they had to become more feminine. He respected them for who they were. Jesus was the perfect, the perfect gentleman and treated them with the regard and respect they deserved as being those who were made in the image of God. Jesus wonderfully restored women's dignity. But Jesus also, and this is the balance of Christ, was in confirming male leadership. In choosing the 12 apostles, Jesus chose 12 men. Now, some argue that Jesus maybe would have liked to have chosen some women, but it would have been a step that was too radical and too far for the time, and so Jesus didn't go ahead and do it. Seriously? Is that the Jesus that you and I know in the Gospels, who would compromise what he believed was the right thing to do because some people maybe weren't ready for it? Jesus appointed 12 men because Jesus accepted the order of Genesis, that within the home and within the church, men were to be appointed as the leaders. Jesus quoted in one occasion from Genesis 2 and 24 about the man leaving his father and mother and going to his wife, about man taking the initiative. Jesus accepted the teaching of Genesis 1 and 2. Why did Jesus accept that? It's because Jesus wrote it. <laughs> Jesus is the God who has given us the Bible. It is the Word of God. And so, Jesus, through His actions, He was restoring creation's order. He was restoring the rule and the dignity of men and women, going back to what they were meant to be in that perfect world of Genesis 1 and 2. So, we have the balance of Christ, and then secondly, we have the power of the cross. Back in Genesis 3, we have this first sign there in verse 21, and the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. And that's a sign that the mess that they had got themselves into, the mess that they had made to this world, the mess that they made to God's design, it would be restored through a sacrifice for sin. And the covering of skins, of course, pointed forward to the sacrifice of Jesus, who alone can cover and deal with the mess that we have made. And so, the way that the order can be restored, the way that God's plan can be restored again in the lives of men and women, it will be in the power of the cross, the power of the shed blood of Jesus to deal with the sin in the lives of men and women, to enable men and women to fulfill their God-given roles. It can only happen through Calvary. And this leads us to our next point, which is grace to women. In Ephesians chapter 5, you'll know these words very well. Ephesians 5 and 21 this is what, indeed, the Apostle Paul says. 
He says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Now, how are women going to be able to fulfill that? How are women going to fulfill the role of submitting to their husbands or submitting to the authorities in the church who are male over them? Let's get this verse in its context. It's through the amazing message of the gospel that Paul has spent the rest of the book of Ephesians explaining about God's plan of salvation, about Jesus dying to redeem people, about the work of the Holy Spirit, bringing people who are dead in their sins, bringing them alive, becoming God's workmanship, becoming this new body in Christ, people taken from darkness into light the Holy Spirit coming and filling them, taking them away from a life of waste and misery to a new life of power and love and goodness. And it's only then a woman who has experienced that transforming power of the gospel and continues to experience that transforming power of the gospel will accept God's rule for her. Not as a leader, not as a head, but as a helper. Grace to men. Ephesians 5 and verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her, that He might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the Word, so that He might present the church to Himself in a splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Man, how are we going to fulfill that task? How are we going to fulfill the task in the home of being leaders, of being the head of the home in such a loving, sacrificial way? How are men going to fulfill that role of the church of being leaders in such a loving, tender, and sacrificial way? The answer is the same. It's where this, these command is found. It's in the gospel as explained in Ephesians. It's if men have grasped the message of God's plan of salvation, the redeeming power of Christ, the transforming work of the Spirit, as men have indeed come from darkness into light, from death to this new life in Jesus, as men indeed have experienced the power of the Holy Spirit in their lives. It's then that men will be the leaders that God calls them to be, not harsh, not domineering, sacrificial, loving, and caring, leading as Jesus did for the church, leading for the good and the, the betterment of all that they have authority over. It is the grace of Christ alone in their lives. It's the power of Jesus alone in our lives can overcome the effects of sin in our thinking, in our desires, in our will. It's Christ's restoration, as we see in the wee table, that leads to a return 
to the creation design. Instead of a battle for supremacy, there becomes equality as we respect each other made in the image of God equally. Instead of uniformity, thinking we're all alike, it's accepting the diversity that God has made us with. And praise God. I just think of that passage in Genesis 2 when the Eve is first brought to Adam and bone of my bone, and flesh of my flesh. How excited he was that she came from him, but she was different from him. What would have been the fun if she was like him? She was different. And so indeed, it's accepting God's plan. And thirdly, grace moves us from conflict, from competing to complementarity, where we realize we complete each other, we need each other, we complement each other. We're part of the family of God when we serve together in our different callings. If we return to the table which I had this morning about responding, about responding to male and female differences in the church, there's no place for male superiority, no place for thinking, man, we're better. There's no place for uniformity, thinking we're all the same or we're all alike. The position we have to accept is complementarity. Yes, there is male leadership, but it's loving, caring, kind, sacrificial. And alongside that, a vibrant, active female ministry as women use the gifts that God has given to them alongside the men in the fellowship. And in this, men and women will flourish. You see, each of us will have a tendency here. Each of us will have a tendency to swing one way or the other if we're men or women. Each of us can swing. Men can have an arrogant attitude of superiority and diminishing women. But on the other hand, men can go down the road of uniformity and abdicate their God-given role of leadership in the home and in the church. Men can swing both ways in this. And whether we go to superiority or uniformity, both ways are wrong. And it's the same with women. Women can fail accept the different roles that God has given to them and go down the uniformity and think that the roles of men that they can have for themselves and take responsibility where they're not meant to. But on the other hand, women can, under a domineering male superiority, car away and hide themselves from fulfilling the God-given role that they're meant to have within the fellowship and within the home. You see, there are problems when we go against God's plan. And the only way that if we are tempted to go one way or the other, the only way that we will be right, the only way that we can go the right path is through the power of Christ. It's a close relationship with Jesus. It's knowing His wisdom, His grace. May God give each of us the grace to correct ourselves where we have been wrong and help us to understand and fulfill our God-given position and God-given role within our church family. Amen. Father, thank You for Your Word, and Lord, just help us to see the wisdom in this. 
Father, the devil has so affected us by sin that our eyes, our, our thinking gets Father twisted and, and gets bound up, Lord. Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit would help us to embrace and accept that which is from the Spirit of God, that which is from your truth and from your Word. And Father, help us, Father, for help us to just to see that what Jesus said about this. And particularly, Father, for those of us who are men, help us to behave as Christ did. Father, never putting women down, never treating them as second-class citizens, never being arrogant, but recognizing women for who they are. Different from us, but Father, equally made in the image of God and as precious in your sight as any man. And Father, for those who are women, Lord, just help them to accept, Father, the role that you have for them. Help them to accept, Lord, it's not a limiting role. It's a role where, Father, they'll learn to develop and flourish because it's your plan, Father. And Lord, help them, Lord, to accept, Father, your God-appointed leadership. Oh, Lord, help us to learn. And over these next weeks, as we think, Father, next week about women's ministry, more from the Bible and for today, and men's ministry then, Lord, undertake for us. Help us in this. For we ask it in Jesus' name and for His glory. Amen.